We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome, everybody. We are the Pettiest Bills Podcast. I'm not bright enough for all of that. Drew Gator. Because I thrive off negativity, it's just more hackery from a charlatan and a carpetbag. The Rock Pile Report. Oh, my blood pressure's rising. He gave him Coors Banquet beers out of spite. The Pettiest, Hardest Drinking Bills Podcast. I'll go to hell and back just to prove a point. Everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And no matter how redundant it seems that we open the show with that sound and then you hear it from me live, I like doing it, and I'm never going to stop. Chris, Sunday night football is weird, isn't it? Because we're not used to being on it. Not only are we not used to being on it, but also, well, I mean, we've been doing it since 2019. I feel like the last meaningful Sunday Night Football game we were a part of was the Duck Hodges game. Yeah. Remember that? That's when it started. Okay. So it's been a few years. We've been getting Sunday Night Football here and there. You know, the Chiefs game a few years ago. Um, it's. I think the thing about Sunday Night Football for most Bills fans... And I mean, I'm not going to try to speak for everybody, but I will say for most Bills fans, probably revolves around the idea that when the day starts and you start getting near one o'clock, the urge to open a beer is pretty big. For me, anyway. The urge for me to go into the fridge and crack a beverage is pretty big when that one o'clock kickoff happens. But I know I can't because if I start now, I'm not going to make kickoff. Like, that's fair, right? Yeah, or you just don't start until around kickoff. Yeah, but do you know how hard that is? Football's on. Why wouldn't I also have a beer in my hand? It's not hard. No, it's literally, I only have two speeds. It's either I'm going to play with my kids and kind of like half watch football. If I'm watching football, I have a beer in my hand. You might need to go to AA. <laughs> no, they wouldn't take me. I don't have any real problems. Like, my problems are that I have a producer who's drinking whiskey during during football season. What do you got over there? I'll give some to you. This is the... Okay. All right. See, now it's acceptable. Now it's acceptable that you're willing to, that you're willing to share. Well, this is the bourbon. Hmm. I took a 1910 Old Forester. And what I did was bacon fat. Bacon fat wash this bourbon. I don't know if you've ever had a bacon fat no. wash bourbon. I'm gonna have to do it again. What you're gonna have to do is make a video on how to do this. Why don't you explain? It's just not, describe the process. Not hard. Cook bacon. Put bacon fat in a jar with bourbon. Not hard. I next time I I'm gonna try it again at some point. And I'm gonna use less bacon fat. Is what I'm going to do, because I think it's very overpowering. Yeah, I will say, like, this is a very... 
I, I'm not gonna lie to you. As I sip, I know that this, I know that this is whiskey, right? Guys, you see this. Those of you watching on YouTube, you see that this is whiskey. What I taste is like a charred, there's like a charred, smoky, bacony thing going on there. Like fatty. Not like, not true bacon flavor. Like if it was real bacon flavor, that's fine. This is like fat with a hint of bacon and smoke in a whiskey. Yeah, I think you can might have overpowered it just a hair. I think the next time I'll try it, I'll go, I'll do an ounce of bacon fat. Yeah, you should probably start small and build up, not just a whole pound of bacon and a jar with a bottle full for it. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, but uh, two ounces of bacon fat does not equal a pound. No, no, no. I'm talking about one pound of bacon's worth of grease. Which is more than two ounces. How many strips of bacon did you cook? The whole package. It's a one pound package? Yeah. So you cooked a pound of bacon... Yes, and it was. I didn't use all of it. Okay. <laughs> that's how that works. This is why we fight that's, like a married couple. That's where how it's that like, works. what are you saying versus what my ears are hearing? What I'm going to drink is one of these that Eric Harris was nice enough to send us. It's a Wayfinder. It's called Earth's Heiress. It's a premium cold IPA. 7% comes in a nice can, has a nice... Uh, Chris, look, I like the fact that the beers he's sending us have these like very much... like If there was one way to describe the artwork on the can, it's just metal. Like This, this is a picture of a wolf sitting on a throne with other wolves. <laughs> and very just like... Like, the wolf has arrows in it, but it's still very proudly sitting on the throne. Like, that's a that's a very metal thing, right? Yeah. Now, it's a cold IPA. I don't know what... Uh, it's a Sycamore Strata and Centennial. Notes of strawberry and apricot. Jesus. Kind of fruit beverage. That's actually a really clean IPA. There's some that have that weird smoky aftertaste. There's some that have that like they're cloying a little bit. If they're it's like a dry hopped or like super hoppy IPA, that's clean. Hot damn, they really do just brew better. They brew better out there in California, don't they? It's probably one of the only things they do well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> certainly can't run a state. Uh, I digress. We are here talking about our Week Nine preview: Buffalo Bills against the Cincinnati Bengals. The time, 8.20 p.m., because we are on Sunday Night Football. The place, Satan's Grundle. I mean, I mean, Paycor Stadium in Cincinnati, Ohio. The weather is supposed to be nice. 60-something degrees, no precipitation. Chris, what do we have for a line at this point? Bengals minus two. Oh, it's moved up to two. I huh? think it opened at Bills minus one. Opened at Bills minus one, moved to Cincy minus one and a half after their blowout win for the 49ers. And now is it minus two? People are moving away from Buffalo. Now, when you see that half point movement, that's probably because people are, you know what I mean? Like people are probably what? Like buying. Uh, well, it was a three point move. Yeah. Three point move, but then it moved half a point in the last two days. I don't know. This is a real tough game. I'm like, I wouldn't even bet this. Yeah, it's hard to bet. And I, the fact that the line is actively moving day over day tells you that Vegas is just reacting to who's placing bets on what. So if they're moving more the way of Cincinnati and they're expanding the line that way, Chris, wouldn't it make sense that more people are taking Cincy in this? Yeah, yeah. As soon as they opened it. Bills minus one, Cincinnati betters came right on in yep. and pushed that line. So the crew is Alex Kemp. I don't have any like notable beef with Alex Kemp, but that doesn't mean there won't be shenanigans. Yeah, he's not Land Clark. Yeah, well, as we talked about in this week's uh, recap, it, uh, NFL officiating is at an all-time low, so I, I don't give any of these guys credit. Who do we have on the call, Chris? Tariko and Collinsworth. Collinsworth. It's an away game, so you got to put up with him. What do we have to do to get rid of Chris Collinsworth? Anthrax? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't be against it. The funny thing is, well, you can't say that 
on a lot of podcasts. You can't be like, because they'll go back and they'll play that back and go. Sometimes I think about this. Like the things that we joke about in this podcast, if they were ever read back to me by a court stenographer, it would sound really bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or if like you ever had to read it in print, the jokes that I've made on this podcast, where they're like, and then the defendant said, you just could read it in a monotone way. You could get rid of Chris. Context. Yeah. And then the defendant said you could get rid of Chris Collinsworth with anthrax. <laughs> and you're like, well, that's you took the spirit out of it. You took the joy out of my words. <laughs> Clearly, I was kidding. Like Don Rickles style. Don Rickles. I love him. God bless him. But he's lucky he's gone because he couldn't exist in a climate like this. Ah. Collinsworth is going to be the worst part of this game. I know it. Because here's the problem. He's going to start the game. I'm calling it now, Chris. In fact, I'll put a Seagram's on it with you. The first, his his opening, like opening drive quarterback crush is going to be Joe Burrow. He is going to start the game profusely. He's going to have factoids that you've never heard about Joe Burrow. He's going to be talking, oh, well, you know, I just always love that. Because he's Chris Collinsworth, right? Mm-hmm. Where did Chris Collinsworth do his business? Cincinnati. Yeah. So he's going to take the two-knee, not even the one-knee, but the two-knee approach when it comes to the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow. And we're all going to have to just shut up and listen. Now, hopefully at some point, Josh Allen takes over and just makes the game about him. Like, I think back to that Thanksgiving game, you know? The broadcast, everyone was there for Dak Prescott putting on a show against the Buffalo Bills. And Josh Allen basically told them all to shut up and hold my beer. Watch me work. And it, I'm going to have to have some of that on Sunday. Or else I might not make it. Or at least my liver won't. Because I can't deal with, uh, with the Chris Collinsworth love affair. With the opposing team's quarterback. For another week in a row. I can't do it. Makes sense. Now, it is that time of year again where uh, our Buffalo Bills descend into the swamp that is northern Kentucky. Or northern northern Kentucky, as I like to call it. Because I think that if if Kentucky had any real chutzpah, you know, any balls, they would just annex Cincinnati already. It's not like Ohio would do anything about it. They've got so many problems, they probably wouldn't notice. Chris, when you went to Cincinnati for training, you remember that? Yeah, I went to the Mazak plant. Where did you... So, so like, you drove, because you took your computer, so yeah. we could podcast That remotely. was our first season of podcasting. Think about how much technology has come, how far technology has come, that that's no longer necessary. Yeah. But... You could have flown, but if you had flown, where would you have had to fly into? Cincinnati. Well, you wait, you you would have been able to fly into that shitty little airport. I mean, I don't think that they do direct Buffalo to Cincinnati. They don't do anything direct into there. It's it's like flying into Tupelo. I'm pretty sure that when you arrive in Cincinnati, they bring the like they bring the stairs out to the plane, and you get off, and hopefully don't trip and fall down them like our president. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole bunch of listeners who just cringe. They were, ah, he, he fell going up the stairs. <laughs> Shut up. All of them stink. Politicians are garbage. We should burn them all. Wait, did I say? <laughs> yeah, Mazak's Maz- in Florence, Kentucky, which is like 15 minutes south of Cincinnati. That's where I got to do business. All I remember is the movie uh, Angels in the Outfield, and there's a guy who stands up and just yells at it at one point, Go back to Cincinnati! And as a kid, I always assumed it was an insult. Now as an adult, yeah, if you screamed that at me, I'd be I'd be offended. So we're doing this, and you think about what the game is. Like ahead of this, obviously the NFL's most problematic up-and-down offense had its get-right game the week before we go to play. Obviously, before Buffalo comes to town, these assholes kind of figured their things. And realistically, it does all come down to Joe Burrow's health. It always has. 
you know, when you watch those early games for the Bengals in this you know, early as the season was going on, you could tell Joe Burrow didn't look right. He, there was at one point, I'm trying to think of the game specifically, but there was every single drive he was coming off the field just limping. I think it might have been the Titans game where they just blew him out. And every single drive, he's limping his way off the field. When you have a statue for a quarterback, teams know they can tee, they can tee off on you with blitzes, corner blitzes. We're going to drop safeties down into the box when he tries to find outlet passes. And they just smothered what the Bengals were trying to do offensively. They go into their bye week, they come out, and they play They play against the 49ers. And I get to watch with my own two eyes Joe Burrow take off running and kind of like uh, Aragorn in Lord of the Rings, uh, in uh, Helm's Deep, the two towers. He just knees first. There's a crowd of 49ers players, and he takes off running and just dives into them. And I was like, ah, fuck, he's healthy. He's healthy, and he's scrambling, and he's running. And they had the type of game you would expect a healthy Joe Burrow Bengals to have. They decimated these guys. one nothing Flyers. <sighs> 55 seconds in. Of course. <laughs> Chris, the Sabres team isn't that much better than last year's. In fact, it might not be better. It's slightly better on defense. Because that's the only area they made changes. Yep. Yeah. But not significant ones. You could be better. You chose not to be. They made changes on defense. All right, sorry. The Sabers. The Sabers are going to lose tonight, guys, and it's going to wrinkle. It's going to rankle Chris. So, the offense that was barely squeaking by the you know teams like the Seattle, the Chargers, as the kids would say, they are so back. (laughs) That leaves the Bills who are in kind of a precarious situation. It's an ugly thing to know that you're depleted on the one side of the ball that could have made a difference, and you're playing a team that is just starting to hit its stride. It sucks. It's kind of a hopeless feeling. I'm not a huge fan of it. But, But the game isn't unwinnable. Because if we've learned anything from a week where the NFC North leading uh, Ravens were taken to the wire by a one-win Cardinals team, and the Broncos gave Patrick Mahomes the first divisional road loss of his career, I think we've learned that the transitive property doesn't exist in the NFL. Every game happens in a vacuum. It's matchup to matchup to matchup, and it's what do you know about my team, what do you know about my tendencies, and how are you going to play me? And that's what dictates a win and a loss especially when you have quarterbacks the way we have them. There's a really interesting dynamic, too. There's a pressure for both of these teams coming into this game. Everybody, you know, it's, Chris, must-win games. You know, we talked about how embarrassing it is that Tampa was a must-win game. Yeah. They're at this crossroads right now, the Buffalo Bills are, because they're 5-3, and three, and you know, as we talked about in our last show, this is an unfamiliar territory, but... The Bills have three AFC losses already. The Bengals have zero AFC wins this season. So, you're talking about a 4-3 and three team and a 5-3 and three team who have yet to really, like, the one AFC win we have was the Dolphins. <laughs> a win or a loss isn't going to be the reason here that you don't win a Super Bowl. This game can't kill either of our seasons. But when you look at the precarious situation for each team, for Cincinnati, you know, outside of a pair of games against the Steelers, they have one of the most difficult schedules left in football in terms of how teams are playing right now. Not your traditional strength of schedule metrics, but how teams are actually playing today. Houston's been playing a more explosive brand of offense. Indy is somehow still being competitive. Zach Moss. Chris, Zach Moss! Preparations for the Jerry Hughes trade. Cleveland has continued to have the Bengals number over and over and over again for reasons that they can't even explain. They're like, this team could be dog shit and they'll still find a way to beat us. We don't know why or how. Chris, maybe it's something in the water? (laughs) Probably. That's a pollution joke for those of you who don't get it, because Ohio has disgusting water. 
a loss to the Bills here on Sunday puts Cincinnati farther behind the eight ball, not only in their pursuit of a divisional title, because there's still a game back from the Ravens, but also, like, I don't know. If they have to go into the postseason, let's say they can't win their division, the Ravens hold serve, they carry it out. I mean, because realistically, the Browns and the Steelers, no one pegs them as a division winner, do you? The Browns, no. No. The Steelers, see that offense? No. Okay. So if Cincy misses the boat, they're going on the road, and they're going to have to spend almost the entire postseason away from Cincy, which I would say was a positive thing, but their fans might not. Chris is fist pumping. I'm assuming the Sabres scored. Casey Middlestat. Surprisingly good this year. Guy's having a career year. He's yeah. going to Drew Stafford this team into giving him a second contract. You know that. For Buffalo, a Miami win and a Buffalo loss would make it considerably harder for the Buffalo Bills to compete for a fourth straight AFC East title. Those are just facts. And a loss would mean that in the wild card, like if that's a thing that's necessary for Buffalo to qualify for the postseason, you will have given up tiebreakers to teams like the Jets and the Bengals who might not have a road to the top spot in the division and would become your direct competition, not even just for a playoff bid, but also for seeding purposes. You're going to get stuck playing a tougher matchup in the postseason because you've lost to these teams if you end up in the wild card. Like, there's a lot at stake for both of them. This game is probably going to be... Chris, Like, do you expect a back-and-forth affair, or do you think that this thing is going to be as one-sided as that playoff game? I got to go back and forth. Okay. Well, if it's going to be, it's going to be because we've learned a thing or two about their football team. So I want to kind of run through what I've learned about them and who they are entering Sunday night. On defense, first of all, one constant in what has been kind of an up-and-down season for their football team is the fact that their defense is quietly solid to above average, and they're good in some very key places. They're 16th in points against, 20. So they average about, like, they'll allow you to score about 21. They're 12th in sacks per game, 17th in third down conversions per game, 6th in takeaways per game, just one spot above Buffalo. They're not showing, they're the George Costanza of defense. I'm not showing off, but I'm not falling behind. I'm right in that thick, meaty part of the curve. And yet I do a few things very, very well. Their defensive ends are a fucking problem, right? Our offensive tackles have played pretty well, and overall the offensive line's been better than what we had last time we saw them. With that said, Trey Hendrickson, his production has been ridiculous. I think you have to add together. You can almost add, like our two top pass rushers in terms of pressures created, Greg Rousseau Ed Oliver. You have to add their pressures together to equal Hendrickson's production. That's gross, right? Yeah. They have that going for them. Something that we don't have a star on that side of the ball we can point to right now. The Bills' rushing attack has been upgraded. And the Bengals' run defense has struggled at times. But the defensive line is so good that it might not matter. I... Dorsey is going to have to be in his bag in order to find plays that can get a blocker routinely to the second level to help spring Cook or Murray or whoever they line up in the backfield for meaningful yardage. It's going to be hard to get past that front level of the defense. Like, that's just a, it's why they're in the middle of the pack. Their linebackers have been average in terms of run defense. It's just that the DJ Reader and Hill and some of these guys that they have there on the depth chart are just so stout. It's hard to open rushing lanes in the middle of that defense and get guys to the second level up on a linebacker. It just does not happen very often. So with that, you're left funneling everything to the outside. And for everything that their cornerbacks might not be, they're very good in run support. Okay? Their defensive backs and coverage are not household names. 
But there's no glaring liabilities at first glance, and it's hard to find a lot of things that they do wrong. You know, Cam Taylor Britt is their number one. He's given up a lot of yardage, which we'll touch on a little bit as the show goes on. By and large, they do just enough, right? Their failures, though, the games they've lost, hasn't been a problem with them not playing enough defense. They've won a couple games on the back of their defense. Meanwhile, now that their offense is fully operational, you look at that middle-of-the-road defense and say, that might be all you need. If you can, if you can score 30, your defense only has to hold somebody to 25, and it doesn't matter. They're not even within striking distance of you. The game is never in question. That's a dangerous thing, and a lot of that comes down to defensive coordinator Lou Amarulo, who, Chris, I don't know if you're looking at the show notes, I definitely butchered his last name, and I don't give a damn. You butcher most people's names on your notes that yes. you give me. And I don't care specifically about this guy. He should have just taken a head coaching job somewhere else last year instead of sticking around in Cincy and continuing to be a pain in my ass. But here we are. He's here. We have to deal with it. He's very good at what he does. He runs a very aggressive scheme. He he just seems to have a real knack for rolling these zone coverages and then mixing in blitzing opportunities. And like as the team gets more it gets healthier on offense, I'm sure he feels more emboldened to be more aggressive on the defensive side of the football. They're not invincible. They get a serious pass rush. Linebackers playing some pretty good football this season. Logan Wilson, Jermaine Pratt, they're good players. Pratt is really good in the box. Leading the team in run stops, tied with our own Terrell Bernard for run stops. Logan Wilson is solid. He's not showing off, not falling behind. But they can get got. And ultimately, like, Mike Hilton is the kind of a veteran safety. He's a captain on the team. But they don't have a premier talent at safety. There's no star back there. There just isn't. And so there, there's plays to be made if your offense is creative. Now, on the other side of the ball, if I take a look at just some of the observations from my couch as I watch the Cincinnati offense, and I kind of look at... Can I hit you with some world news? What's that? Sad sad news. Uh-oh. That just came through our Twitter feed. Legendary basketball coach Bob Knight has died. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What? Yeah. Bobby Knight's dead? Bobby Knight passed away. One of the greatest coaches. <laughs> you just... <laughs> you can't throw the chair very far. For Bobby Knight! <laughs> I had to throw a chair! One... Had, had, it's the equivalent of pouring one out? Yeah. You th- Guys, wherever you are right now, throw a chair for Bobby Knight. Ah, that sucks. To Bobby. So, when I think about what they are on offense, I look at where they might be lacking, right? Because we all know their wide receivers are some of the best in the business. 
I see their tight end room and I go, this might be a place where you could steal a little bit. So even though they haven't looked like it the past few weeks, on paper, the Bengals have one of the AFC's most explosive group of pass catchers in the NFL. Chase has absolutely justified his position as a top pick. Remember when they took Chase over Penny Sewell? Yeah. And everyone said that that was a mess? Look at it now. Was that or was that not a great pick? I mean, it's a good pick for both teams. Well, sure, but who would you rather... If, if you were the Lions right now, would you rather have Chase than Sewell? Yes. There, I, the defense rests. Higgins, when he's not making business decisions for himself, like he's having a rough year. I think not giving him a contract extension in favor of a guy that they just drafted kind of fucked him up. I don't know what's happening. I, we shouldn't say it. Chris, we shouldn't say that if we want to be marketable. No. Lame. Jeff Skinner. Jeff Skinner scored? Yeah. Awesome. Screw Philly forever. Uh, so you look at this. Higgins has really had an up and down year. He's he's not yet had a game where he's looked the part of the number two wide receiver in the most dangerous trio of wide receivers in the NFL. And Tyler Boyd, he's he's aged. He is still the savior of the 2017 Buffalo Bills playoff drought. But he's still a better wide receiver three than a lot of teams can ask for. Would you take him over our current wide receiver three? Which one is this? Khalil Shakir. Shakir. And Shakir versus uh, Tyler Boyd. I mean, if we had Tyler Boyd, would we use him? <laughs> I don't know. That's that's the question. <laughs> when they've struggled moving the ball this season, one of the biggest questions people have asked, where the hell is the tight end support? During the Bills' 2-2 two and two stretch here, tight end production has been significantly suppressed. Like... They the, have Irv Smith Jr., right? That's your guy? Yeah, yeah my guy. Alabama? But just because he played there? He sucked there, too. They literally have given up one... The Bills on defense have given up one touchdown to Mike Gesicki, the game winner. Otherwise... No one has gotten more than 42 yards combined out of their tight end room at the position against Buffalo. We have done an outstanding job of taking that production away. Bill's rookie tight end Dalton Kincaid has 30 receptions, 258 yards, one touchdown, and 11 first downs. If you look at the Cincinnati tight end room by comparison, the whole room, They've combined for 16 receptions, 107 yards, three touchdowns, and three first downs. Their most targeted tight end is Irv Smith Jr. Well, and Irwin, Tyler Irwin. Average depth of target, 5.3 and 3.3 yards downfield. These guys aren't factors. They're not dynamic parts of the offense. They are very, like, it's just not like, it's not good. You didn't invest in solid talent, so they can't produce for you on a regular basis. And while you can point to that being a reason that there are other, t- you know, that like, hey, we're not throwing to tight ends. We're just throwing to wide receivers. That's why they've got all the statistical value. I don't know. Like, or if they're saying, hey, you're so busy watching our tight ends, you're giving up bodies to our wide receivers. I don't know. I, I think that that's awful production from a group of players like on any NFL roster, it tells you that they're not really even trying to make tight ends a thing in this offense, and that right now they don't know how to utilize this group. If they were getting open on their own, Burrow would have found him, especially when he had no mobility and he was just looking for safety outlets, and he would have found a decent tight end somewhere. This is a place where the Bills might be able to make, I don't know, I don't want to say, like, for all the fear, like, people are talking about, like, oh, they're going to decimate our, our defense. Sure, those wide receivers might roll out there and really put the hurt on us. At the same time, this is a place where maybe you look at that group and go, they are non-factors in this offense, and if they want to try today, you know, Sunday, they want to make Sunday the tight end game. Perfect. We're built to stop that by default. We can afford to cheat a little bit. We can borrow some linebacker help when it comes to them moving Jamar Chase in the slot. 
We can borrow some help from a safety instead of carrying up the seam with a tight end who you know is not actually going to break away from anybody. You can cheat down and maybe take away that underneath thing to Higgins. There's a little bit of, there's something you can do here when you have this position group that just cannot perform, even when the offense is abysmal and just praying for anybody to make a play. And all the attention is dialed up on these wide receivers. If they can't produce, you can borrow from that and you can throw extra bodies at those positions the way a lot of these teams have. I mean, and then when I think about where we're going to do this, well, the thing that really made the difference early on in the season was pressure. Now, the San Francisco 49ers had a really hard time getting pressure on the uh, it, uh, on this team. Like, I, I, I'm just looking at the way I've kind of broken this down here. If I want to talk about pressure statistics, it's you have to talk about the calf injury. You have to. When Burrow is a sitting duck, teams condense the box. They bring their safeties down. Now they're sending corner blitzes. They're sending you know corner and safety blitzes. They're sending blitzes in the A-gap from linebackers because they know that he can't move. And it forced a lot of checkdowns. It forced a lot of errant throws. Burrow absorbed a lot of contact. It, it was ugly football. We just watched him prove that he's back to having some mobility, and that's going to change the way you have to try to attack him. So if you're looking at their pass protection, you're looking at who's done what, the funny thing is that their tackle Orlando Brown, remember when they traded for him and everyone thought like it was the greatest thing since sliced bread? Yeah. Oh, my God. They, they, they got Orlando Brown. How are the Chiefs so stupid to give him up? And we were laughing about it because I go, well, that's going to make the Chiefs weaker. <laughs> like, there's no way to fix that hole on your offensive line. Also, Orlando Brown, I don't know if you're a good left tackle or not. Like, you had a good year. He leads the team in pressures with 22. He's given up six quarterback hits, which is more than double than... <laughs> in fact, three times more than the next closest player on the roster. And then you go inside, and Garrett Volson and Jonah Williams, you know, right tackle, right guard... Not good. Pressures. Set, you know, three sacks apiece. A lot of pressure. You know, what is this? Uh, 19, 20, 30, 34 combined pressures. There's going to be plays that you can make against this. The problem is, is that you can't do what San Francisco did. Like They knew what San Francisco's MO was. They're going to send pressure, and when they do, it's just penetrating straight up field, try to force the quarterback out of the pocket. They called trap plays. They ran the ball away from pressure. They checked into runs whenever they thought that they... So you're basically going to have to sometimes disguise, simulate pressure, drop out of it. You're going to have to have... like This is going to be a cat and mouse game as to how you pressure Joe Burrow. But that's going to be the reason that you win or lose this football game. Because if you can't pressure him, he will destroy your defense. Because his wide receivers are too talented to be covered for that long by any secondary in the NFL. I don't care how... You bring back the Legion of Boom, and you put them up against this wide receiver core, but you give Joe Burrow three to five seconds to throw, you will get murdered. That That's reality of what we're dealing with. It's a daunting task. It's not easy. But there are places you can win, you know, especially along the interior line where we've had some pretty good interior pressure coming from Ed Oliver. We really need Chris. Like, this is where I just, you know, you go back and forth in this, like, hey, Von Miller came back for that England game. And then we had a game a couple weeks ago where he limped off the field after nine snaps and didn't come back. This is the type of game you need Von Miller, like, quote-unquote, back. I need to see Leonard Floyd. Floyd has been pretty quiet the last couple weeks, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, he has. I, I, I need a game, and I need you as a coaching staff to have a game plan for how you're going to pressure this quarterback. If you think back to the AFC title game that sent Kansas City to the Super Bowl... That entire game hinged around quarterback pressures. Who got it? Who didn't get it? Who got too much of it when it mattered most? That's what swung the balance of the contest. And realistically, if Buffalo can't generate it, because, like, you, again, then you watch down the stretch, uh, the 49ers did this thing where they said, fine. 
if we're blitzing and it's not working, we're going to drop back and play coverage. Yeah, well, you still got you still got jacked up, jacked up like those old ESPN highlight videos, which apparently Chris are now illegal because we have to pretend we care about player safety. Mm-hmm. ESPN doesn't care. ESPN is a bunch of bitches. So, with that in mind, there's places you can win. This offense is going to be a juggernaut. They will move the ball. They will score points. I'm guessing they're probably going to score about 24 in the first three quarters. Like, if they score 24 in the first half, you're in trouble. 24 in the first three quarters, okay. You've done a decent job of suppressing what this team is. Now you got to figure out what your plan is. I, Chris, it's going to be hard. But that's what, like, that's what football is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. If you want to be a championship team, you have to figure out how to beat a team like this where you go, I don't know where their weakness is on offense. I don't know what plays we can. Jamar Chase is so otherworldly talented. Let's not talk about it like we don't have our own. Let's not talk about it like we don't have our own otherworldly talented wide receiver. Let's not talk about this like we don't have a young phenom tight end or speed to burn at the wide receiver position if you could ever just orchestrate it appropriately. Let's not act like our running back stable can't make hay. We have weapons, too. And so with that, I want to get into this week's keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. <sighs> 2-1 right. Buffalo. Skinner's goal got called back, and then they scored 15 seconds later with that new guy. Wait, what new guy? Called up uh, Brandon Biro. <laughs> awesome. Who's wearing 15, Eichel's old number. That's awesome. <laughs> Troll. Yep, two to one. Where I want to start, the keys to victory, I want to start with nickel and dime packages having to be effective against the run. The Bengals just had their first 100-yard game of the season. Okay? Not just for Joe Mixon. Literally the entire football team. San Francisco's defense, they had them. They understood. It's almost like they knew every single nuance of their offense or their defense and said, listen, we have a counter for everything you're going to throw at us. The, the San Francisco defense took bad angles. They missed a lot of tackles. Chris, does that sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah. So we can't have a redo of the uh, New England Patriots game here. We just we can't. But the week before in a matchup against the Seattle Seahawks, who I think we can all agree are far less impressive Right? Yeah. They managed 46 rushing yards as a team, which might be the lowest output by any team in the NFL so far this season. With Burrow finally looking like himself and not this hobbled husk of the star quarterback we saw last year, the Bengals passing forced the 49ers to give the Bengals wide receivers. You know, they were giving them this crazy amount of cushion. 7 and 7.4 and 6 yards respectively per play. The wide receivers just ate that cushion up. You know, like Chris the way you mouth through Halloween candy. I don't know if we've ever talked about this before, but you are one of, for for being I would expect you to be a lot fatter. I'm not going to lie to you. The way you woof Halloween candy, especially the fun size ones. Mm-hmm. I got a question for you. Do you think that you would eat less candy if it was bigger like if it was a whole candy bar and you ate one versus 11 small fun size candy bars yeah do you think it's just the psychology of it being like one whole candy bar and you'd be like hey i'm done i had my one yeah yeah. (laughs) i'm probably i've studied and analyzed the way you eat halloween candy it's as a guy who fat guy who doesn't eat candy it's bizarre to me how Chris can just casually just pl- like, like, like a bulldozer, just run through tiny candies. But he won't do it if they're giant. Like even if you get the bigger fun size ones, not his bag. But if you put those little micro ones out there, I eat the shit out of them. <laughs> he'll, eat, he'll eat a child's weight in the tiny candies, but he won't eat the bigger fun size ones. He'll have like two of those. It's a psychological thing that I, I find fascinating, Chris. We have to do a study on you. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. 
<sighs> but the wide receivers ate that cushion up and just destroyed everything they wanted to do. And they got the... So, Chris, here's the thing. You give Jamar Chase cushion and let him move around pre-snap with no one there to check him. Six of his ten completions came with it behind or within four yards of the line of scrimmage. And he turned that into 100 yards and a touchdown. Because he's a dynamic wide receiver. At the same time, that same defense, because they were playing so far off the ball, couldn't rally to tackle at the line of scrimmage and catch Joe Mixon before he beat him up on the ground. A passive approach from this defense is not going to work. At the same time, Buffalo played dime defense, you know, just trying to figure out who the next linebacker or whoever is going to fill that linebacker role next to Terrell, Bern, uh, Terrell Bernard. They played dime 38% of the time against Tampa Bay, which was the most in the entire NFL in a single game by a wide margin. Not just this year, but in most seasons. You don't run that much dime. We did it, and it actually worked. Like, you saw the stats from Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and everybody. Like, their passing game sucked, and at the same time, we were decent against the run. The only thing they got on us was passing out of the backfield. That's it. I wouldn't be shocked to see them go this route again. Dime, heavy dime defense. Just given the wide receiver quality they're going to be facing... And yet at the same time, they need to make sure that unlike the 49ers, they don't get gashed in the ground. And considering how poorly Jordan Phillips and Tim Settle rank against the run, I mean, obviously, Chris, Eli Anku is going to play in this game. I'm sure of it. I'm positive they're going to activate him for this. It's going to be on our second-level defenders to tackle well if the integrity of the defensive approach is going to hold. And they're going to prove that they can actually compete with this football team. If they win in that regard, it'll make the Bengals one-dimensional like all the teams that have beaten in this season have been able to do. If they fail, I don't know how they get off the field, and this game could turn into a bloodbath really quickly. It sucks, it's not fair, but Rap, Poyer, Bernard, and Teron Johnson are going to bear the weight for our defense. You'd hope our defensive line could carry it, but Burrow's agile and he's... I mean, Chris, Eric Armstead, Javon Hargrave, Nick Bosa, the 49ers have so much highly paid talent on the defensive line. Yeah. And they couldn't shake Burrow. I have no illusions of grandeur that we're going to go in there and do that. So I look at these four guys and say, guys, I know it's not fair, but this is your fight now. You guys are the guys who might make the biggest difference in this football game, and I just need you to try. Like, I just need the best I can get out of you. I look at them, I look at McDermott. If they do that, it'll go a long way towards helping the Buffalo Bills come out of here with a win in upset fashion. Because this is the first time we've been an underdog in how long? Three years? Two seasons? Back, I don't know. Going back to 2021, we've been favored in almost every, what, 27 straight Feels games? like a week. You also need to attack their linebackers through the air. The linebackers for Cincy are opportunistic, right? They're fairly solid. They've got great metrics, run stop, missed tackle percentage. Everything's great on paper. But even winning the last two games, they've gotten a lot of heat from opposing offenses who didn't look overwhelming. So against Seattle, 297 total passing yards allowed by the entire defense. 166 of that came and seven first downs came at the expense of those two linebackers. Kenny Walker had 30 yards receiving against Jermaine Pratt. Wide receivers Jackson Smith and Jigba and six foot four wide receiver Jake Bobo. Chris, your name is fucking Bobo. But he's six foot four. You know what rhymes with L? What? I can't do it, but Bo and I would elbow you in the stomach. It's a classic joke that you see in Cop and a Half with Burt Reynolds. Yeah, it's you and Benny. Cop and a Half. <laughs> it's my favorite nickname for you two. Just Cop and a Half. Jackson Smith and Jigba and six foot four wide receiver Jake Bobo worked those guys for 31 and 43 respective yards and three first downs. They moved the chains 
They took advantage of the linebackers where they could, and that was what kept Seattle in the game. The 49ers. The defense for Cincy gave up 347 passing yards to some somehow to that offense. 137 came to the linebackers, along with six first downs. Every time they need a critical stop and it comes to the linebackers, you can target those guys in coverage and exploit them. Like, that's the pattern here over the last two weeks. George Kittle, who is the de facto number one wide receiver when Debo Samuel's not there, had 70 yards combined against the two linebackers and three first downs. Throwing Christian McCaffrey 43 yards after the catch against Pratt, two first downs. They worked these guys using fast players who also could win with size. Chris, we happen to have slot-wide receivers, tight ends, and running backs who are all worth something if this quarterback and offensive coordinator ever saw fit to use them properly. We saw splashes of this early on in the Tampa Bay game where they said, hey, this is going to be the offense. We're steering into this. Knowing that the Bengals are unlikely to bring their safeties down into the box on a regular basis and risk getting beat over the top, right? Because they're not going. The reason why, like I alluded to earlier, Cam Taylor Britt, their number one cornerback, he's given up over 361 yards, which is, I want to say, 100 more air yards than any other Bills defensive back. (laughs) He's, He's getting crucified. He gives up a 50% completion percentage, but when he does, it's big. And those safeties are going to have to know that and cover his ass, especially against a wide receiver group like this. So, with that in mind, you're not going to have safeties muddying the box. These wide, these linebackers are going to be open and there for the taking. If you can just make a game plan around the size and speed of Kincaid and Shakir, Hardy, Sherfield, whatever you have to do, This is where you want to go on critical plays when you have to get that first down in order to keep the chains moving. These guys have proven that over and over and over again, they can give up that yardage. They can give up those plays, and you can make hay there. I also think that, really, it comes down to Dorsey's game plan and his demeanor. For most of the season, Chris, we watched, you know, Gabe Davis act as this kind of, I don't want to say decoy, but he acted as wide receiver two out on the boundary, and that was fine, right? Like, hey, I'll catch a deep pass here and there. You'll find me on a scramble drill when I get open deeper in the secondary, whatever have you. This is from Jacob Gibbs on Twitter. J.A. Gibbs underscore 23. I want to give attribution because I didn't come up with this myself. It's way too smart for me. The Bills completely changed the role for Gabe Davis in Week 8. Average route depth, 7.2 yards. Davis had never had a route depth lower than 8.5 in a full game. 39% first read target share led the Bills and ranked 8th overall for the week of any wide receiver in football. Gabe Davis was his first read. 6.7 yard average depth of target, which used to be, coming into this game, it was 15.1. He was just your deep threat. Tied Jamar Chase with the most open or wide open targets of nine, according to Fantasy Points data. From a fantasy standpoint, that game last week was the high point for Davis in 2023. They just showcased the... And and Chris, look at the production. You go back and you look at the box score against Tampa for Gabe Davis... 12, 12 targets, 9 catches, 87 yards at Tutty. Long, longest was 16 yards. Chris, that's wide receiver one production. Like, if we didn't have a Gabe Davis on the other side, or, I mean, a Stephon Diggs, that would be your number one wide receiver production. They pivoted when they knew the team would be so busy trying to take away Diggs that, hey, we're going to beat you to death with Gabe Davis because you're going to let us. This Cincinnati defense is going to have to pick its poison. And I guarantee you they're not dropping safeties in the box to try to take this away. If we can replicate some of this aggressiveness, realistically what it's going to come down to is Dorsey's game plan and the overall demeanor. You know, this this idea of every week is its own contest. Every week is its own contest. You know, I had one week at a time. You can't win the Super Bowl in a single game, blah, 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 blah. 
This week is going to tell us a lot about Ken Dorsey, Josh Allen, and whether the, the two of them understand yet or not that the defense, when you get into the playoffs, when you're going up against upper echelon teams, which we play a rash of them after our bye week, it's not enough for you to just play safe football. You know, this this complementary football we've been so focused on for the last month and a half. That's not going to get things done. You will lose to these high-octane offenses like the like Philly, who's not afraid because on every single drive, they know it's first and nine. Because if they need one yard, they have a play that you can't stop. And it changes the way that they call a game. You're going to have to use your offense to win games from here on out. That's what this is. After the losses we've sustained, the way things are going... Our defense cannot carry you. It's you that has to earn your paycheck and carry the defense. That means more of this 11 personnel heavy attack. It means more up-tempo, no-huddle approach to tire out the Bengals' really dominant but shallow defensive line. They don't have any depth at defensive end the way the Bills do, or at defensive tackle the way we used to, but we still kind of flirt with. They don't have what we have in terms of this. So, so it's that Kyle Williams thing. Do you remember that in that iconic speech of his where he's like in the tunnel screaming at everybody? And I remember something he said. He goes, we drag teams into the deep water where it's uncomfortable. And that's where we win. They're going to have to find a way to do that with this team. And you know how you do it is you score fucking points. Plain and simple. You go out there and you score points. You find a way to turn most drives into scoring drives, whether it's field goals, whether it's, you know, you, you can't have the second half of the Tampa Bay game. Exactly. I don't want to see the Bills up 10 points in the third quarter and it's fourth and two, fourth and one around midfield. Your bread and butter is your offense and Josh Allen. Let him pick up the first down. Push that drive. Because then if you're up, if you go from 10 to 17, it's a three-score game. It's officially a blowout. You got to do that. What we need to see is killer instinct. They've proven they have the tools. They've proven they have the talent. I don't know that they have the will. And that's what I need to see from them, is the will to go out there and impose yourself with all the tools that you've handpicked that you've cultivated, that you've decided you want to make your thing, but that have proven they can work. I need you to go out there and show that you in hostile territory can impose your will on another football team. If you do that, that's what you need to save your season. If you want this thing to, if you want a shot at a fourth AFC's title, if you want a shot at being a wild card who has to go on the road into, into another team's house, probably a pretty high seed if you keep losing AFC games, you're going to go into another team's house and beat them as, as a road underdog in the NFL playoffs. Then you got to show that you can go on the road into someone else's house and punch them in the mouth and impose yourself. I'm not saying it has to be, it doesn't have to be pretty. The effectiveness has to be there. And I don't care how you do it. I just know that this is going to tell us a lot about where they are right now. It won't end the season if they lose. But if they win, and it's because of the offense's aggressiveness, think about the places that that could send this team as we go on down the stretch here and eventually try to catch up with Miami. That's it, Chris. It's, it's just X's and O's and effort. Speaking of effort, to your right, there is a Glenn Karen, and you need to kill that. Put in the effort. I know it wasn't fancy. It's the first time doing a bacon fat wash bourbon. I'll do it again at some point. Just pound that and wrap this up. Guys. I, I don't know what to say. I can't even try to prognosticate this game. Uh, I've seen people, I mean, I've seen people already pegging this thirty to twenty. You know, their their, their defense's average is going to hold serve, and they're going to score 30, 35 against the Bills. 
Some of that's knee-jerk because they just watched what happened to the 49ers who don't have a real quarterback and yet just the NFL won't admit it. Pundits won't admit that Brock Purdy's not an upper echelon quarterback. He's Andy Dalton at best. Um, But with that in mind, I find it really hard to try to guess a final, even a final score for this game. Chris, the spread is so tight, we can't wager on the spread. What are we doing for a final prediction? I have no idea. I can tell you that at some point on Sunday, I'm going to get a text from Greg Zahn, who I used to work with, who's going to tell me it's going to be 43-5 to There we go. Cincinnati, because he likes to be that guy that uh, sends me a text every week that we're going to get blown out, just so when it does happen, he could say he was right. But you, when he's you've wrong, done it every week. But then when he's wrong, do you ever get a retraction? No. Apology? No. <sighs> no. When they're playing well, I don't get text messages from him. He, he, Chris, don't get mad at him. He's most of Bill's Twitter. I see you people out there. It's all right. Guys, I'm nervous. I'm really dreading having to listen to Chris Collinsworth call his old, like his alma mater's game. Like, this is gross. It's going to be hard. If anything, if there's a tip I could give it, like, keys to victory, here's one for you all listening at home. Get earplugs. Get earplugs or mute the TV and just listen to Van Halen's greatest hits on repeat. Van Halen, The Stones. You know what I've been big into lately, Chris? Is, uh, it's actually one of my favorite songs to play on guitar. Can't You Hear Me Knocking by the Rolling Stones. Just that dirty, fuzzy guitar. Just, ah. I would play that on Guitar Hero. Hell yeah. Can't you hear me knocking on the door? Can't you hear me knocking? Oh. Guys, I'm going to I'm gonna go rip some of this right now. i got to get out of here. But that's what I'm going to be doing. Rather than listening to Chris Callensworth, I hope some of you will join me. Tonight, we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your Week 9 Preview.